Good morning, church. My name is Charlotte. I am blessed and uh, privileged to be a part of hospitality team and welcome team in our church. Today I'm going to do the Bible reading from St. Paul's letter to Corinthians, that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses from 16 till 2nd verse of chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, please grab one from the table at the back and that will be a special gift for you from church to read the word of God and enjoy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses from 16. The ministry of reconciliation. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has gone away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain, for he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Well, good, good morning and, and welcome to Turn Gabby. My name's James. I've got the privilege of opening up God's Word this morning as we continue our, our series on the DNA of discipleship. And today we're going to be looking at mission. Corey was so helpful, to, you know, the, the five fingers. In, in a way, we need all those things to function. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at our mission statement and that is, our mission is to be making and growing disciples of Jesus. And so today you might be thinking, well then, what's mission? Well, let, let's put it, our, our goal is to make and grow disciples of Jesus, who magnify, who mature, who serve. And, and, and so mission, it's, it's another part of that, in which we look at what our job is. Of what we want to grow as men and women to be more like Christ, we want to be people who are on mission for Him. So why don't we pray for us? But what I'm going to do is, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to get you to stand as I pray. It's a wonderful thing for us to do as we come to this topic, because it's a big one for us as a church. So please stand with me as we come to God's Word. I'm going to pray for us as a church. Heavenly Father, we now come to your Word, and we just ask that you'll change us and mould us. May your Spirit be at work within us. And at the same time, Father, we also recognise that what we're about to look at, the devil wants to stop. He doesn't want 
this message to go out. And so this morning, Father, I know we've all come from different mornings, different circumstances, and in a way, he doesn't want us to hear what we're about to hear. And so, Father, we pray that we'll have a sense of peace right now, calm our hearts, clear our minds of the distractions of this week that is about to come before us, the things of this afternoon or whatever the conversations might have been. But, Father, we pray now that we will be at peace and hear your word. May your spirit work powerfully in our lives now so that we understand what it means to be disciples who are on mission. And we pray this ultimately for the sake of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. I love big stories. I love big movies. And I just love epic dramas like Braveheart. I love Gladiator. Some of you may love the dramas of Downtown Abbey. Those kind of stories that are love stories, a romance. I love the, the, the stories of battle. They're, they're stories that grip our hearts. They grip our attention. And in a way, stories like this have power over us. They take up residency in us. But this morning, I want us to see that the story you see is the story you live. The story you see is the story you live. What I mean by that is stories have this incredible power to shape how we live. Now, Braveheart and Gladiator might not really be that main story for you, but all of us have some grand narrative of life in which we see how we are to function. Whether you see yourself as a refugee, whether you see yourself as a doctor or as a mum, we have these grand narratives, story, a story that we see as ultimate that will shape how we live. The story you see is the story you live. But what we want to do this morning is I want to see a bigger story that we're a part of. Because we live in, in, in Western Sydney, but just in Blacktown alone, there's over 400,000 people. In Western Sydney, there's 2.6 million people and it's growing. All who have a story. All who actually have a look at this world and we have a lens in which we view our life should look like. And that story, the story you see, is the story you live. But this morning for us as disciples of Jesus, I want us to see that actually there's a bigger story. Last week we saw that the world is centered around God. It's about His glory, about His majesty, about worshipping Him. And therefore today we need to see then that if He's at the center of the universe, His story becomes our story. His mission becomes our mission. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. If you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And we hope that you will see who Jesus is a bit more clearly this morning. And the story that God has, the big story. So this morning... We're going to be looking at mission. Mission is a part of our DNA as a disciple, like magnification, like becoming more like Jesus. And I've got three questions for us this morning. And the first question we're going to answer is, why are we to have mission as a part of our DNA? Why are we to have mission as a part of our DNA? Well, here's the first point. And I'm going to ask a question of what and then how. So the first answer is, we are, we are a new creation with a new story as ambassadors of Christ. Since becoming a follower of Jesus, you have a new life. Um, you have a new lens in which you look at the world. We have a different story now in which we're a part of. And I think that's really what Paul's saying in verse 16 and 17. Have a look there again. There's a therefore in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, or your translation might say from a, a fleshly point of view, the world flesh, 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, or you may have in your translation, we are a new creation, has come. The old has gone, the new is here. What Paul's saying is, hey, we are now in Jesus. If you're a Christian, you are a new creation. There's a new story. I think what he's saying is we have a new lens in which we view the world. You used to view the world the old way, through the flesh, in darkness. But now that you're in Christ, you view it through Jesus. You are a new creation. Once we were in the first Adam who sinned. We are all born in sin. We are in the first Adam. But once you're in Christ, you're a part of the second Adam, the new kingdom, the kingdom of God, a new race, a new way. So we have a lens now in which we view the world, which you didn't used to view it like. It's our story now. It's the new story. And now we need to view our status. Now, one of the statuses is here that you're an ambassador of Christ. You're a part of something bigger now. Now, what is an ambassador? Well, here what an ambassador is not. UNICEF, they, they send out people to look after kids who are, who are in need. But they have ambassadors, but guess who the ambassadors are? They're famous people. They pick people with reputation, with money, people who are passionate. And in a way, they're just paying these people and they're gonna, we're going to pick you as an ambassador to go and, you know, really sell our product. But no, no, the ambassador of the Bible here actually takes us back to the first century where it's an ambassador of a country, where a king or a queen sends out an ambassador to another, another kingdom. They are about the kingdom. So this ambassador, uh, he or she, they're an they're a ambassador for the kingdom that they've come from. They speak with the authority of the king. They speak on behalf of the king or the queen. And when they speak in another kingdom, when they speak, basically, it's the king speaking himself. It's as if the king is there in person speaking to those other people. See, there's a couple of things that's really helpful here. See, in the Roman Empire, if you were an ambassador, you had immense authority, which meant you didn't act on according to your own name. You didn't act in your, in your name. No, no, you acted in accordance with the king. You had the authority of the king. And secondly, the message that you took as an ambassador isn't your message. That message wasn't originated by you. You took the message that the king wanted proclaimed, which is actually a, a hint for us in the 21st century as we get deeper into this talk that actually we too have a message that we cannot change either. It originates with the king. And so Paul says, hey, I'm an ambassador of Christ now. I'm committed with a message. If you're a disciple here, you are a part of the greatest story ever. There is a new story in which you see. You are a part of the big story of God. A huge story. But you need to see that it's no longer about your street in Toon Gabby. It's not about your story and your job and your career. It's, it's no longer your story about your family and success. That's a story, but that's no longer your story. Now, you've been brought into a bigger story, the story of God. This week, um, I've got the joy of solo parenting. My lovely wife, Ali, she's away. She left yesterday on a plane to go out back and share Jesus with kids. 
And so as my beautiful wife left, she entrusted me with a variety of things. She made sure, she said, make sure, I'm entrusting you with this. I've got to make sure that I feed the guinea pig day and night. I've got to feed the bunny day and night. I'm entrusted with feeding the cat day and night. I'm entrusted with feeding the dog day and night. And I'm entrusted with looking after three boys, feeding them, making sure they go to bed and dropping them off at school and forth. Now, whew, that's big. Now, but, but there's a sense in which I don't mind that, right? I'm entrusted with that. That's a good thing. Have a look what we're entrusted with. Look what Paul's been entrusted with in verse 19. Halfway through it says, And he, God has committed to us, or you could say has entrusted to us, the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with a message. I don't know about you, but I feel the weight of that. Our new story, the new story that you see is the story that you live. We've been entrusted with a message. The king of the universe has entrusted us. The one who's above the heavens and the earth has said, hey, I'm going to entrust a message to you. You're my ambassadors. You're my ambassadors here on planet Earth. See, my wife left and had entrusted. Jesus, the King of Kings, has gone to his throne room and has entrusted us here on Earth to go about his mission. Okay, so why do we have mission as a part of our DNA? Well, it's, it's, hopefully it's pretty obvious because we are a new creation. That's one of the languages. We're a new story with a new story as ambassadors of Christ. So here's the what. What's the message then? Well, hopefully you've got a hint already what the message is. The message is about Jesus. The message is about Jesus and the gospel. The message is about, here in this passage, being reconciled to God. Reconciliation, I think, is one of those most beautiful words. It's a word that's jam-packed with imagery and, and emotion. It's one of those beautiful words because what you see is where there's been great grief, where there's been enemies, where there's been hostility, where there's been pain, where there's been anger between two Two enemies have been reconciled together. Two far apart have now come together. Now, in a human relationship, when people are reconciled, it's an incredible picture. But how much more incredible should it be that, that actually we can be reconciled with God? But why do we need to be reconciled with God? Because the wages of sin is death. Because we've said to God, I'm not at the, you're not at the centre of the story, I'm at the centre of the story. I want to be glorified, not you. That's where sin comes from. It's from what you worship, by not having God at the centre. And therefore, no one is righteous, not even one. No one does good. Why do we need to be reconciled? Because of sin. To be reconciled is to the exchange of a hostile relationship for a friendly one. It means to be reconciled that there's already hostility there. If, if Paul's pleading, be reconciled, therefore there's hostility already here. And reconciliation between us and God takes place through the death of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says this, For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? 
Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, baptism is a reminder that people have been reconciled to God through Jesus. Be reconciled. And and, and I think what's really helpful for you, if you're here and you're a seeker and you're thinking about Christianity or you're thinking about who God is, if, 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 if it says be reconciled to God, then it must mean you were created for God. Which even That means, therefore, the cross of Christ tells you that you need reconciliation with God. It tells us, in a way, that, that actually real life, real meaning, real purpose, real satisfaction, real joy, those things can actually only come from God. And then we get to one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture in verse 21 of how we are reconciled. How we reconciled? Have a look. God made him, that's Jesus. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, what that verse is, it's talking about a great exchange. It's not that Jesus was sin. It's not that Jesus sinned because he was perfect. He never sinned. He was the righteousness of God, all perfect, all right, lived the perfect life. It's not saying that he was sinful. No, 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 he wasn't. But what happened was he became sin. It's the great exchange. What it means is, here's the gospel, it's, it's that if you're a follower of Jesus... To be reconciled is that your sin, your filth, your dirt, your wickedness, everything that you've done against God, which means that God, who's a holy God, needs to have that sin paid for by, and He's going to pour His wrath on you. To be a Christian is to go, Jesus grabs that sin of yours, past, present, and future. He grabs it, all that sin, and it's imputed to Jesus as if He has done it. And therefore, the, the God of the universe, the Father, will then pour the wrath upon Him, like a magnifying glass when you try and start a fire on a stick on a hot summer's day. That's what the great exchange is. It was poured upon Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing of as well, is that that perfect righteousness of Jesus was then given to you by faith. That 100% righteousness is given to you. Your sin was imputed upon Jesus. God poured his wrath. Jesus' righteousness was given to you so that now God sees you as righteous, not because you've done absolutely anything. No, because Jesus has done it all. And that all that stuff that's been wrong with your life, Jesus paid for at the cross. The only way you can be reconciled to God is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's at work doing that now. Growing up as a teenager, as a Christian, I, I, I had this, you know, you, you know, as you journey as a Christian, you're discipled and you start to learn more and you start to get, you get start to explain, see how God's at work. But early on as a Christian teenager, I just thought, well, good, I've got my insurance card, I'm out of hell and I'm in heaven. And therefore, what I've got to do now is I've got to make sure for the rest of my life I live a morally upright life, do whatever I can and just hang, here, hang out in this world, do whatever I can to be good so that when Jesus returns, I'm ready. And that God was distant, that God wasn't at work in this creation, that he was distant and far away, but I'm right now because when Jesus returns, I'm not going to hell. 
But as, I've, as I was discipled, I started to see that, no, 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 actually, did you notice that God's at work right now in creation? He's actually present right now. Look at verse 19. Now, the, the, the language in this verse is present tense. It doesn't quite read like that in NLV, but, but it's a present tense, which means it's right now, God is reconciling people to himself. God's heavily at work right now. He's not distant, he's not far away, but he's at work reconciling people to himself. And you are being invited into that story today. And if you're a Christian, you're already in that story. What's the message of this mission? It's Jesus and his gospel, be reconciled. But who's it for? Look at verse 20. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that incredible that as we speak the gospel, it's as if God is speaking directly to that person. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, who's Paul talking to here? Well, here's, here's a couple of things. He's actually talking to a church. He's talking to Christians. Back in chapter 1, we see that he's actually talking to the Corinth church. And so what he's doing, he's saying to Christians, be reconciled to God. And you think, hang on, aren't they already saved? Well, they are. But in a way, he's saying, don't take this grace in vain and slip back to your works. Don't slip back to thinking you reconcile yourself, but be reconciled to God because that's what God's doing right now. But then on the other side, we see in the book of Corinthians, in both, we see in, chapter, in 1 Corinthians, we also see that there's actually unbelievers who gather on a Sunday with the church. See, right here today, some of you here are seeking, some of you are unbelievers, some of you aren't Christians, others of you are. Actually, when, when Paul wrote these, he's writing to a mixed audience. And so what Paul is saying to you and what I'm saying to you, if you're not a Christian, be reconciled to God today. It means for us as a church, there's always unbelievers amongst us. And that's why Paul pleads with us, make sure that you do things in a way that makes sense. So that a non-believer who comes in, they're not confused. And therefore, for us as a church, it means that the things that we do on a Sunday aren't to be confusing. It means that the songs we pick have the gospel in it. It means that as the service leaders, we want to see Jesus exalted. We want to make it clear what the gospel is. We want our sermons to have the gospel in it. Because there amongst us are those of you who don't believe yet, and there's those who have. Don't take the grace of God in vain. To take the, the grace of God in vain is to start relying upon you and your works and your religion. But have a look at verse 9. Check, check, out, the, check out the verse 18 and 19. Did you see it? That we're entrusted with this message. He's committed it to us. It's all of Him. Do you notice the all, the all, the all? It's all the work of God. It's all His. The message of the gospel is never reconcile yourself. The message of the gospel is never reconcile yourself. Did you notice it's God who reconciles? The language there is all. 
Verse 19, it's God. Verse 20, it's, it's, it's trying to tell us, no, it's, the gospel isn't you reconcile yourself. No, the gospel is be reconciled through Christ. The gospel isn't about receiving reconciliation. So the gospel is about receiving reconciliation from God. Now, isn't that the most freeing thing? Because every other religion in the world, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever it is, or Mormonism, it's all about you be reconciled. You do it. You work. You do it. But now the Christianity is the very opposite. It's saying Christ has done it. That's the gospel. Otherwise, it can't be a good news story. Now, that's so freeing for us. And yet, how often does the world think that Christianity is all about morals and about religion? And I wonder if that's just because sometimes the way we as Christians live, we, we've been reconciled, but we, we start the journey of thinking, no, no, I stay in by reading my Bible, coming to church and having good kids who behave. It paints a wrong picture when actually, no, no, Christ has reconciled us. The hope of this world is Christ. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Have you heard that quote? I think it's far from the truth because actually to be ambassadors of Christ is to share a message. Now, don't hear me wrong, there is a sense that the behaviour of an ambassador needs to reflect the king. Therefore, our behaviour should always reflect the king. Do you get what I mean? Like, and we desire as his ambassadors to bring glory to him. So our behaviour and the things that we do should reflect the king. It means that as we go around, we show compassion, we show mercy, we show love, unconditional love. It means we, we help people. But ultimately, the, an ambassador of Christ is someone who speaks. Be reconciled to God. Eric Little said, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people nearer to Christ or, or we repel them from Christ. So what, what Eric Little is, he was a missionary in China. And he's saying we are actually all missionaries wherever we are. It can be easy for us today to think that Laxon is the one on mission. Yes, he is, but actually what we are, we're on mission right here in, in this local suburb. We're all missionaries. Jim, Jim Elliott said, he said, I don't want to be a mile post marker on someone's journey I want to be the fork in the road in which they encounter Jesus and they either reject him or submit to him God's mission becomes our mission so the story you see is the story you live and Jesus's heart was for the lost he said Jesus said Yes, he came in, he, he, he did miracles which point to him being the son of God. But ultimately, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. We see the heart of Jesus for the lost. And therefore, we are moved by the person next to you on the bus or the train. Or you're moved by your neighbor who's mowing the lawn for you. Or you're moved by the parent on the sporting field. Or, or you're moved by the, the, the mums who's a part of your, 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 your kids program where your kids go to school at. We're moved at the reality that they're going to hell. But I don't know about you, but I don't always feel that. I don't always, I'm not always moved by the reality of hell. I'm not always moved by people sitting next to me thinking they're going to hell. Are you like that too? Jesus was moved. And so how are we motivated then? How are we motivated for the mission? 
It's getting our lens right. It's seeing the right lens. And here's, we are motivated by God's glory, by Christ's love, and by the urgency. See, in verse 11, go back to verse 11 of 2 Corinthians. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Now, this idea of fear, what Paul's saying is, my ministry is motivated by the fear of the Lord. That's the glory of God. It's a holy reverence. It's, it's wanting God to be treated as God should be treated. He's moved by the glory and the magnificence of God. That moves him through his ministry because God's at the center of it. God's at the center of all things. But also, did you notice in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us as well. So it was also Christ's love. Now, this idea of love here isn't the, the little lovey-dovey feeling that's in your stomach when you meet a girl and you love her. Now, that's not going to go far in marriage because actually love is sacrificial. It's not this feeling of this stirred up in your stomach. No, no, it's a love that is, and it's, it's sacrificial love of someone laying their life down. And that's what moves Paul, see? It's not some funny feeling in the stomach, it's a reality of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That moves him, but also what moves him is a sense of urgency in the task. Have a look. There's a sense of urgency in verse 1 of chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, or look, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. He wants you to stop. Why does he quote an Old Testament passage? Well, in Isaiah chapter 49, we find this passage, 700 years before Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians, we find these words written in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. But what's the context? You've just got to go back to verse 5. The Lord said, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back. At this point, Isaiah is looking forward to a suffering servant who's going to come in the future. And he said, I'm going to bring Israel back. He's going to gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has, my, has been my strength. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. So there's a sense in which he's going to bring Israel back. But then in the next verse, he says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What Paul is saying to us is, we are in that day now. The one who will be despised, the one who will stand before kings, the Holy One of Israel, which is Jesus, He is, through His life, death and resurrection, we are now, before Christ returns, between His resurrection and His return, we are now in the day of salvation. He wants you to stop. There's an urgency. If you want to understand world history right now, you need to understand your new position in Christ and you need to know that it's the day of salvation. It's not the, it's not the day of your best life now mentality. Everything we have now is going to be gone one day and Paul says, no, we are in the day of salvation. See, we are in the 21st century, in Australia, in a postmodern world. That's okay. But remember, you're in the day of salvation. That one day, that day of salvation is going to be gone. It's like a rescue boat that pulls up to a ship that's sinking. Right now, that lifeboat's there, everyone's to jump on. But one day that, that rescue boat's going to leave and there's going to be, it's too late. See, right now he says there's an urgency, there's a real reality of heaven and hell. There's a real reality of now is the time where we as ambassadors are going into this world, sharing the kingdom of God and the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And that's what being on mission is. 
The mission M is to remind us of the time that we are living in. To see the age as God sees the age. That's how God sees it. That's how we see it. We're on the mission of proclaiming the hope in offer, on offer in Jesus. Because one day, for those who are outside of Christ, a meteorite, a meteorite twice the size of planet Earth will one day strike. For those who are not in Christ. That's the idea of the picture of the wrath of God. Yeah. So for us to be a church who makes disciples, we need to be a church that disciples. To know the day that we live in. To remind us of the urgency. And we get to play a part in that. So what does it mean to have the DNA of mission? Here it is going to come up on the screen. On mission, proclaiming the hope on offering Jesus. To be a church mobilized for mission who wants to see family and friends hear about Jesus. We're about seeing lives transformed by Jesus. So what part can you play? Well, here it is. Pray. Pray for your friends. Pray for the lost. Engage your neighbors. Engage your friends and your workmates. When you go to work tomorrow, when someone says, what do you do? I went to church. Be someone who's prepared to invite people into your home and to make relationships with them. We as a church, we're going to be running events which are pre-evangelism in which you can invite your friends to to make a step forward in which then we say, hey, we're writing conveyancing. Get to know them so that we can then, as ambassadors of Christ, to reflect Jesus in our actions, we will have the opportunity to reflect him in our words of the hope of the gospel. Sometimes I think we worry that this is not going to happen. I'm going to put some stats on the screen for you for a moment. This is from some McCrindle research a couple of years ago. Next slide. The one, that one. Three in ten Australians are extremely or very likely to attend a church service if they are personally invited by a friend or a family member. Does that hit you? That means if you ask ten of your family and friends, three are going to come. Whoa. Like, sometimes I think we think that the world's, they're not seeking spirit, they actually, they found that three people out of ten would do it. Now, the next slide, you can't see it, but Gen Z are 44% likely to come, whereas baby boomers are like 27%. Baby boomers see the world a little bit differently. They want the Lord's Prayer to stay in, in Parliament. The Gen Z go, we want it out of Parliament, but yet, Gen Z, 44% will come to church, if asked. Isn't that intriguing? of how we view and how, how the opportunities that we have in front of us to ask people. Now, I'm not saying that if you go out and ask 10 people a day, three are going to say yes. They're like, they, one might, but it's family and friends, those who are close to you. We have to have our eyes fixed on the harvest, not the barns. It's easy, isn't it, to have our eyes fixed on a building with air conditioning when actually our eyes are meant to be on the harvest, not the barns. For the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what does it mean for us as a church? That we want to make and grow and equip you. We want to be in this together. We're in this together as we're on mission, proclaiming the hope on Jesus. It means, right, here it is, reality is that you're not all evangelists. Most of you won't be. And can I tell you, that's okay. We're the body of Christ. Some of you will be great at going out and evangelizing, and the rest of us will be just really struggling to even know how to open our mouths. 
And so we want to we grow us. We want to preach the gospel week in, week out. We want to have mission heat where we feel for the lost and have a sense of urgency. We've had baptisms today. We ran Christianity Explained a couple of weeks ago and one person recommitted. Like there's, there's these things that we're doing. We run Christianity Explained so that you who may feel a little bit uncomfortable can bring your friend and we will clearly tell them what Jesus is about. Can I encourage you to get on with that? To find out who can I encourage and bring along to Christianity Explained so they can hear the, the clarity of the gospel. It means we're going to be generous to the mission beyond us. That means we're not about here, we're about the western suburbs and beyond. It means we're going to be generous to other churches, we're going to be generous to the cause around us, and we're going to be generous to Zambia as well. See, to be on mission is to send people out. To be on mission is to see people go to Bible college, become pastors, to be running Christianity Explained here. It means we need to plant churches. It means we have to be willing to lose the best for the best mission. We're going to see in term three that the book of Acts is about preaching the gospel. People are saved, churches are planted. We want to plant. We want to see people grow with a heart for the lost. We have a big vision because we have a very big God. A God who wants to see thousands of transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond. The story you see is the story you live. The story you see is the story you live. See, in 1952, on the February 18th off Cape Cod, a tanker called Pedalton broke in half in a stormy sea. It smashed in half, one half sunk. It was a stormy night. The storm was crazy. And somehow the Coast Guard heard about it and they thought, how can we send a Coast Guard out there? And there was only one person who was willing to go, and that was called Bernie Webster. He was the only one, and he said, oh, we'll go. He took someone else with him, and as they headed out on this tanker, so as they headed out to save these people on this tanker, people said to him, don't go out, just head on out, turn around, because you aren't going to survive, you aren't going to get there, you're not going to do it. You're not even going to get through the headwaters, let alone get to the boat. And Bernie said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, he said. He gets through the headwaters, he breaks his compass, he somehow navigates and they eventually find this tanker that's split in half and there there are 32 men ready to be rescued and he's got a rescue boat of 12 people. And the bloke with him said, Bernie, we can only take 12, we're going to have to turn back. And he said, no, we're going to get them all. They get 12 on, they get 15 on. The person next to him said, we can't take any more. We can't take any more, we've got to go back. Let's go back, drop them off and let's go back again. And he said, if we go back, they'll all perish. And he was so determined to save the 32 until they were all in that boat. And for us, we live in a city where people have their own story who are lost without hope. The extent of our mission is to go to all people. May we not stop at doing anything for that to happen. Because the story you see is the story you live. Let's sing as a church. Please stand and let's respond by singing that we're on mission.